0: The Adam Crowley show. Oh,
1: he went okay, from the bottom. Well, I give up, man. If you're not gonna be honest about it, I give.
0: John, Thanks my, nipple looks, like, my nipple looks like my cat like a, like my cat's nipple. <laughs> Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. What? Wait a minute. What? A lot of pens talk today on the show, to be sure, but now we take a break and we go to another sport where there's ice and, well, less contact, at least I think. We'll have to ask our next guest about that. John Schuster, the skip of the United States gold medal-winning curling team, joins me now on the Crowley Show. Uh, John, first of all, congratulations for your achievement. And i, I got to say, watching all the Olympic athletes, I think your excitement was, to me, the excitement that seemed the most genuine. Not to say that every other athlete wasn't excited, but you could really see it on your face.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not known for being able to hide my emotions very well. So, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, disappointment, was, obviously, uh, at times. Week, yeah. uh, now, now, talk me through what happened when you guys were two and four, and the mindset uh, that you had after that. How you were able to bounce back and continue on your road to gold.
1: Yeah, just uh, yeah, it was it was a tough night. We they just did something different to the rocks, and,
0: um,
1: and we played against Norway, a team that we had success against, and they didn't play very well. And, we walked off the ice and didn't even put, play 10 ends with them because, um, you know, I, yeah, and it was, I, I was, I was disappointed in my, in uh, myself and really just in the Olympics, the way that experience had been happening for me and I felt it was happening to me, honestly, because, um, you know, I've been to, I've been to like six world championships of a skip and made it to the playoffs and every single one here I was at the Olympics, just, you know, started two and four and, um, yeah, and then woke up the next morning and, you know, it's pretty well documented. I read a story just kind of about Dan Jansen and, um, and his, uh, you know, basically, and, and I saw a lot of, you know, he fell and fell and had two bad races in the two year race in, in 1992 and 1994. It didn't go well in the 500. Then, you know, in his very last race he raced, you know, like ended up winning a gold medal. And, and, you know, we know the Dan Jansen story a little bit, but, but he's known as an Olympic champion and that's what his story is. And decided, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of, of this happening. I'm just going to go out there and enjoy it and see if I can't rewrite my story by having a little fun and being the best version of myself out there. And Holy crap.
0: (laughs) (laughs) John, what's the pressure like uh, whenever, I don't know the technical terms, whenever you're crouching down, you're ready to uh, let go of the rock there. What's going through your mind uh, in the circumstances, whenever you're out there in the Olympics?
1: And you know, that's where it was is I think uh, not the right thing. The last two Olympics in this one is, you know, you had a lot of pressure. Just put on—I I personally put on myself. You know, to make your shots or a team. But um, yeah, I, in in those last five games, I just went out there and decided just to enjoy it. And honestly, in the with throwing the last shot to be Canada there in the semifinal, then you know throwing that last bigger off to the eighth end, you know to get that five and essentially clinch a gold medal against Sweden. Nothing. I sat in the hack and looked down and saw a practice shot that I've thrown a thousand times and made a thousand times and. And made it on the uh, in the biggest moment uh, of my life. So,
0: John Schuster, the skip of the United States gold medal winning curling team, joining me here on the show. That's got to sound good, doesn't it? Uh, the skip of the gold medal winning curling team. Did it sink in yet? Have you come to grips with being a gold medalist? Yeah, I
1: think uh, finally after we came home here and and essentially got her, you know, yesterday our greeting at the airport with, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people there to greet us and. Finally got to spend that moment with my family too, because you know, when, once you win a gold medal, believe it or not, the Olympics they don't uh, you, you don't get to usually spend too much of that time with your family. And my family is heading out the next morning after the gold medal match, so um, I finally got to um, to share it a little bit more with them, you know, upon landing, getting home yesterday. So,
0: John, not, and then
1: it's and now it's gotten real.
0: <laughs> uh, after what could be characterized as difficulty, certainly in two thousand ten, two thousand fourteen. What was the process like to get to Pyeongchang in 2018?
1: Well, I mean, it was the same Olympic trials we had played in before. You had, you had to, you know, make it to the final trials process, which um, essentially is the exact same as, as it was in 2014. But, um, you know, after 2014 ended, they decided to kind of rewrite how they are going to do the national team and, you know, pick their own teams. And, and yeah, it's well documented that our team didn't, uh, the players of my team didn't get picked to be part of that national team. and um, you know, I was upset because I felt like I was helping shape the program. In the, my conversations I had with our director, and then to have the coaches decide that you know they didn't want me in the program, and that and I read it in a press release that said that we've uh, selected the curlers that gave us the best chance of international curling excellence, and I decided that that wasn't uh, the case, and and I was going to go and put in the same work that those guys were putting in, and and show them it wasn't the case. And uh, after the first year, um, they had another combine the next year, and. Um and we may, we didn't really give them a choice but to but to select our team based on that and uh yeah and and honestly to their credit too um to USA curling's credit is um you know we were never treated like like we weren't part of the program and um and we definitely were were supported and we were able to do what we did because of you know that support so
0: Obviously there's going to be a bond with you and your teammates forever given what you guys have accomplished but how good of friends are you with Tyler George and uh, John Landsteiner and uh, Matt Hamilton the guys the uh, Hamilton with the great mustache that I'm sure you've been asked about a thousand times
1: no we're uh, you know we're we, we are very good friends and um, you know it's we're all we're all very different personality wise but, uh, but yeah we we enjoy our time spent together and you know it's it's we were together from February 1st all the way through February 25th, and we played that game on February 24th. So it was our 24th day in a row together. <laughs> and uh, you got to be pretty good friends to be able to spend no that, much, that amount of time together and uh, and still be where we were and ready to do what we did.
0: Now, how much do you put in uh, at the – do you call it the rink or on the ice? What do you say? I mean, what's what's the verbiage here?
1: <laughs> whatever whatever you want to use at the rink, on the ice, yeah. Um,
0: how, how much time you spend?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, – so, what I do is, on days where we're not competing, which isn't that often in the wintertime, but, um, you know, I, I spend, uh, I spend about an hour a day out on the ice only, because, you know, I put a lot of quality into the, each shot that I throw in practice. It's like going to the driving range, honestly, for probably like a PGA pro. Um, but our, but in the other, in the other hand, our, our team plays, you know, between 15 and 20 events a year. So, we have, I think on average in a year, we play about 130 games together, so. A lot of our training on the ice is, is actually playing in games and uh, playing around Canada and the rest of the world. So, um, yeah, in, in that aspect, we spend you know, and that's two out of three weekends that run from at least Thursday through Sunday. So,
0: speaking of Canada, when you guys beat Canada, did that give you the confidence that you needed to continue that run, uh, knowing that if you could beat them, maybe you could beat anybody?
1: Yeah, well. <laughs> we actually had a winning record against almost every single team in that tournament over the last year and a half. So um, we had confidence before we even got there that we, uh, that we could beat anybody, but um coming out and beating Canada and doing it in the fashion we did, I think gave us a lot of confidence that, that we could do that against every, you know, anybody. It's uh it definitely was the, the way we did it. And then we came and did this exact same thing against Switzerland, you know, was had uh, just won a grand slam, like one of our biggest tournaments, you know, that we play in on the, on the tour. So, um, yeah, it's and and yeah, and that gold medal game against Sweden, they find they're the number one ranked team in the world. But uh, in the last the last seven times we played those guys, including these two times at the Olympics, were six and one against them. So um, it wasn't all that much of a surprise that uh, we, we were very happy to be playing in that game against that team.
0: So at the end against Sweden, uh, they did not concede. So you guys kind of had what about twenty twenty five minutes where you could just savor. The fact that you were going to be gold medalist, yes, uh, you guys knew at that moment that you were going to win.
1: That that is correct. So it, uh, it it was. I mean, obviously, we we said that we had to make sure we focused and not, you know, do something silly and give up three points there in the uh, in that uh, in that ninth end. But but yeah, and and it really was a lot of fun to to look around and savor those last uh, twenty minutes out there on the ice with those three guys.
0: What was the celebration like after? You spent, as you said, twenty four straight days with those guys. Were you popping bottles? What was going on? <laughs>
1: no. Uh yeah, no, you know what we did is we, we sat in the room and um yeah, we had and and, and had a couple drinks, but obviously we were getting run, we were run down with with all the trip and <laughs> sure. run around but uh but we definitely spent it, spent time together and and you know, talking about talking about the journey and really taking it in on that on that on a deeper level. So uh, that was that was really nice to be able to do with
0: those guys. Last few things for John Schuster, the skip of the United States gold medal winning curling team. Uh, John, how much did you get to hang out with any of the other athletes that were around? Because I think we've all got this grandiose view of the Olympics and how everyone in the village is hanging out with one another. But I would imagine that you guys are pretty darn focused on your craft the whole time.
1: You are, but at the same point, like you know, we're all in the same building and we have a you know an athlete service area or you know a common area where where we see each other and, and dining halls and that kind of stuff. And, you know, being my fourth Olympics and a lot of multiple-time athletes there, we did get to spend, uh, you know, I mean, be, between the hockey teams and because uh, they're in our, in our same village and the speed skaters, you know, a fair amount of time figures. Uh, we got to know a few of them very, very well and had a good time with them. And actually, heading to closing ceremonies, they, NBC interviewed uh, us and uh, us and Lindsey Vaughn before the thing, and they wanted to make sure that we, got there in a timely fashion. So we get to spend uh you know, a a twenty five minute car ride in a in a van with, with Lindsay and uh and she's in Minnesota like we are and um and had a great time and uh you know and I think I think honestly we could say we we became friends, you know, to the point where, you know, she said after let's make sure we stay in contact and uh yeah, so um and had a great time. So you you do you do hang out with the other athletes and uh, in team USA it is just one big team.
0: Uh, john we talked about this a lot on the show last week well maybe not a lot that's probably blowing it up too much but they really give out a whole bunch of condoms uh in the olympic village john uh
1: you know no <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i we everybody and that's funny it's kind of talk around the village but uh that everyone wants to know where these where these hundreds of thousands of them are but uh and then someone went and got them from like the clinic that's there in, in the village <laughs> to prove that you can get them but they're it's not like there's a box on every corner and every entrance to, uh, to the dorms or anything like that.
0: <laughs> John, do you love the curlings now getting all this pub? And you've obviously been making your rounds. I'm sure media wise, uh, do you like the fact that the sport itself is getting talked about as much as it is right now?
1: One hundred percent, you know, and it's because you know curlers are a, are a, you know they're special people, and it's not. Um, it, it has a, curling has a funny way of attracting the best people to it. Uh, as far as the sport goes, so I mean every curling club in the country, including um, you know where you, where you guys are at, you got a, a curling club and a an Arena club, but uh, but some great great people um, in every single curling club, and um, yeah, it's an awesome sport that is really deeply rooted in, in camaraderie and friendship. So um, it uh, I, I I would challenge your listeners to like, go out and find find your closest club and go out and give it a try because. Um, it, it is a great sport with some great people.
0: Last couple of things here for John Schuster, the skip of the gold medal-winning United States curling team. How's this going to change your life? Uh, endorsements coming, calling.
1: Well, we'll find out. Uh, and there's been some a ton of different people contacting us. And I, I'll tell you what, I need to get an agent. <laughs> I don't <laughs> have one yet, but I'll be getting one in the next week. But uh, we'll see what happens. We're just going to enjoy the ride while it's happening. Though. Do
0: you guys ever get your actual gold medals, or do you still have the ladies' medals?
1: No. It, that that was corrected about as fast as we walked off the exit We felt pretty bad even letting anybody know because, uh, yeah, the Koreans are very proud people, and um, and it was obviously a uh, of all very simple mistake. And it, it's one; it was three little letters that were wrong on there. It wasn't a big deal. So,
0: <laughs> John, really appreciate the time, man. Congratulations and continued success. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, John Schuster, the skip of the United States curling team, which won gold. And I watched every freaking second of it, including the gold medal match as I was half asleep, maybe half drunk, because I was off all last week, in case you hadn't heard. Coming up next, Penguins got a big one tonight. Daniel Broussard playing for the first time for Pittsburgh. And of course, the Devils, they're much improved. They got Patrick Maroon, and of course, they got Grabner, a guy Penguins fans wanted. So you get to see Grabner and Broussard all on the ice at the same time. Josh Joey discusses next. It's the Crowley Show. Sally Wiggin likes him, and so should you. Adam, I think, I think having millennials on the radio is awesome. I don't hate you. God. Adam Crowley. My dogs listen to you when I walk <laughs> out the door. On ESPN Pittsburgh. Tom is victorious in Indianapolis. We are all set up and ready to go. No stand the rest of the week. How about that? Stan gets to be off. Well, we're broadcasting from the NFL Combine. So from 10 o'clock until 3 tomorrow, you've got Jerry Dulac and Dale for the first two hours. And then you've got Dale and Matt Williamson for the next three. And I was there last year. A lot of great football guests. So if you're sick of my hockey talk, and I doubt you are because I'm great at it. And the Penguins are, well, they've been defending champs for like 652 days now. But if you are, Guess what? All football, five hours each of the next three days, so make sure you tune in on ESPN Pittsburgh from 10 until 3. I'll still be here from 4 o'clock until 7, talking puck, and maybe we'll talk to some of the guys, if any of them wants to talk after they've already talked for five hours. But tonight the Penguins will be playing the Devils, and I think it's perfect that this is the first game for Derek Broussard because Michael Grabner... I thought would have been a perfect fit for the Penguins. And he's the man crush that I had going into the deadline because I didn't think it was feasible for Derek Broussard to become a Penguin. It was just too hard to finagle under the cap. It just seemed like a pipe dream. So go out, get a guy like Grabner, get a fourth-line center, and move forward. But the Penguins did one better by getting Broussard. Grabner goes to the Devils. They also get Maroon. They're a good squad, and they can skate with the Penguins. It's a great test. Joining me now to discuss the deadline and tonight's game and all things Penguins is Josh Yoey from The Athletic. Josh, how much did the Penguins check around yesterday on defense? Was this something that they were really trying to do?
2: Oh, they were. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind they contacted teams. Um you know- Were they in on Ryan McDonough? No. I know there was a report yesterday, I think it was Nick Kiprios, that said you know they had inquired. Well, of course they inquired. Everybody inquires about everyone. That's pretty common. But there were never serious talks about someone of McDonough's stature. Um, Were they asking about, you know, number five and number six type defensemen? Sure. But the asking price, even for those guys, was just through the roof. Uh, Teams were asking for a second-round pick this year and another high pick next year. And um Jim Rutherford is kind of, you know, walks that balance of, yes, making the, the Penguins a contender every year, but not totally getting rid of the future of uh, future assets. First-round picks, yes, they do get rid of, but he doesn't want to trade all of his picks, and he, he had to draw the line somewhere.
0: Josh Joey, The Athletic, joining me here on the Crowley Show. How comfortable should the Penguins be about the defense core that they have? Huh.
2: Well, I, I think they're comfortable. But let's not act like Ian Cole wasn't a significant loss, because he was. Uh, He was playing really well. He was arguably their best penalty killer. And he he just you know hurts to death now, Adam, because the way things set up before was great. You had six good defensemen. If a guy on the left side got hurt, you plug in Hunwick. If a guy on the right side got hurt, you plugged in Ruedel. Uh, That's a great depth to have two guys like that. And now you only have Ruedel, which is fine. Um, but uh, if they sustain a couple of injuries, all of a sudden, uh, depth becomes a real issue. So they're happy with the blue line. They're certainly happy with the top four, but uh, they need to stay healthy. And you always say that going into the playoffs, of course, but they don't have quite the depth that they had last season.
0: No, absolutely not. They do have Chris Letang, though, which should help. But, again, if he goes down, then you're in a bigger issue than you had last year, certainly.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, it's funny that they... – I know there's a segment of people listening right now who will say, well,
0: they won the Cup
2: without Latang last year, uh, to which I would respond, yes, they did. Do you really think they can do it again? <laughs> and, and the answer is no, probably not. Um, and you know, Chris has not played well, especially in the first half of the season, but I think he's been very good the last 10 games or so. He's been much better. Uh, this is the version of Latang the Penguins need to see. Uh, so, very encouraging to see him playing like this, and uh, needless to say, yeah, he, he's he's absolutely got to stay healthy.
0: Josh, how excited is Derek Broussard? Because reading the quotes, it seemed like he was kind of pinching himself. What did he look like? How was he flying around today at practice?
2: Well, I actually wasn't there this morning, so I don't want to lie to you and
0: say that I was. No, nah, you should have lied. No one would have known. I,
2: no, I can provide commentary on this. Um, he was acquired on Friday when the Penguins were in Raleigh, and um, I was The media parking lot happens to be right by the team bus in Raleigh, so I'm walking out of the arena, and I stop and have a conversation with Jim Rutherford for a few minutes. We were just, you know, kind of talking about the trade and going over some details of it, and then Rutherford looks at his phone, and he had been texting with Broussard, and he looks at me, and he said, my God, is this guy excited? I said, yeah. He said, "He said, listen, people are usually excited to come to us, you and know, we have a good team, we know that, so anybody's going to want to play here. But he said, this guy is just through the roof excited. I, I mean, Rutherford was almost taken taken aback, I think, by how excited he is. And, and I think it helps that he has a couple of close friends on the team, and Carl Haglin and Chris Letang, so that might ease the transition a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he knows how good the Penguins are. The guy wants to win. I'm sure he was miserable in Ottawa. And, uh, yeah, he, he you can just sense that he's incredibly excited.
0: Josh, I wanted the Penguins to acquire Derek Broussard only if it just meant that he wasn't going to score goals against the Penguins. He's a guy who's really tortured them, and they've played him in the playoffs, what, the last four years. So we kind of know what he brings to the table. Tonight, is it going to be Connor Sherry and Phil Kessel on his wings? And if so, my God. Uh,
2: it looks that way. And uh, First of all, yeah, in terms of the player Brassard is, I would not say he's a great player, but he's on that level just below. He's really good. He's not a star, but he's a really good player. Um, and not only will he score, but he's so good defensively. I ask Crosby and Malkin, they'll tell you he's a pain to play against. He, he's just a really good two-way player. And, uh, yeah, tonight he's going to skate with Kessel and Connor Sherry. Uh, that left wing is kind of up for grabs right now but I absolutely expect Broussard and Kessel to play together for the duration of the season, simply because Kessel and Crosby don't really click, and Mike Sullivan doesn't particularly like Malkin and Kessel together. He thinks they bring out some bad habits in one another. So you're going to see Kessel and Broussard on that third line, and you know what? If you have those two guys on your third line, I'm not so sure it really matters who's on the left wing. Uh, that's going to be a frightening matchup for, for any team to deal with in a playoff setting.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably ideal, honestly, Josh, uh, having those three guys separated. And it's something that Mike Sullivan likes to do. But now you've legitimately got a center who can play with Phil Kessel. And that's not to say that Riley Shane didn't do his thing whenever he was on that line. But Derek Brassard's totally different altogether. And I guess this leads to this question how much better are the Penguins down the middle right now than they have been the last couple of years? Are they better?
2: It, it might be the best they've ever been down the middle, yeah. quite honestly. Um, you know, I would go back to the Jordan Stahl years when you had Crosby, Malkin, Stahl, the matchup nightmare that they were. Um, sure is not quite the defensive shutdown player that Stahl was, but he's more gifted offensively, frankly. And so you, you could make an argument that he compares favorably. I'd say he's probably a better player than Jordan Stahl. So, yeah, down the middle, that's scary. And don't forget about Riley Shea. He has quietly been very good. Um, You know, he's good defensively. He's good on faceoffs. a good penalty killer. And he's found some scoring touch lately. And and his numbers will probably decline because he's not going to have much in the way of line mates now in terms of offensive scoring touch. But I would not ignore him and what he has done. Uh, He he has done a very nice job, and they will need him to be good in the playoffs.
0: Josh Shea of The Athletic joining me here on The Crowley Show. Josh, Crosby, I think, needs some steady line mates. It's just been too much. Topsy-turvy, this guy in, that guy out, uh, all season long, really. And he's a guy who likes routine. Uh, I think if he wants Gensel and Russ, they should leave Gensel and Rust there for a while and just see how things click.
2: Uh, at least Gensel, I think. Um, whether it's Hornquist or Rust or Sherry on that line, uh, any of those guys could probably work. But, yeah, he needs some kind of consistency. He's really frustrated right now. You, you can see it. I, I watched him a lot, uh, the game in Raleigh, and a couple of other games during the last two weeks. And, you know, a lot of skating back to the, to the bench after a shift and slamming the, the boards and just looking really frustrated. And I don't care how great of a player you are. Hockey players are all creatures of habit to some extent. And he's been out there with different line mates constantly. And, you know, Dominic Simone has been okay, but he's kind of a fringe NHL player, let's be honest. And I think the Penguins are in love with the idea of having that depth throughout the lineup and having all the star power on the second and third lines, and I get it. It makes sense. Because Crosby's line is always at least you know going to get you a tie, if nothing worse, because he's on the ice. But it's still Sidney Crosby. Um, you're still probably not totally utilizing what he brings if you don't have someone out there with him who can score. So Jake Ensel is a guy he has chemistry with, a good natural goal scorer. I think it only makes sense uh, for the balance of all the lines for Gensel to be there, and I, you're going to see that tonight, and I think you'll see that for the duration.
0: I almost wouldn't mind if it was Gensel. I think you're right. He's the guy who's got a stick. If they did put Sherry up there, maybe his best with Sidney Crosby. Maybe that's the only way you can really find a spot for him, and then maybe Brian Russ trickles all the way down to the fourth line. That might be ideal.
2: Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I I actually have an article. I think it's going to come up tomorrow now just uh Kind of breaking down the roster and all of Mike Sullivan's uh, possibilities now. And I suggested that, were I the head coach, happy birthday to Coach Sully, by the way, who turned the big 5 0 today. Um, if I were the head coach, I probably would go back with the sit in the kids line with Crosby and Gensel and Sherry. Uh, Partially because Connor Cherry has only really been a consistent producer in this league when he's playing with Crosby. So, you know, maybe you kind of, you know, frown on that. But you know what? Do do what works then. If he's going to score with him, if he's going to play well with him, then do it. And you're right. It makes the rest of your lineup that much better. You know, there is an avenue they can take where Brian Russ is on the fourth line. I don't know that I would suggest that. Uh, just because I I think he's a really good player. You might want him on the ice more. But if you have Riley Shea and and Brian Russ on your fourth line, which is a possibility, uh, good luck matching that kind of depth when you have Rashard and Kessel on your third line. That's why every team in the league is afraid to play them in the playoffs. I don't care if you're Tampa or whoever. Nobody has that kind of depth up front. No
0: way. Josh Yeo of The Athletic joining me here on The Crowley Show. Let's talk a little bit about Tampa. If they did not get J.T. Miller and... Ryan McDonough, would you think that the Penguins are head and shoulders better than them? And now that they've gotten them, how do you view the Lightning?
2: Uh, Yeah, this changes things, certainly. And the fact that they got Miller in the trade is a big deal. He's a really good player, and he is now going to be surrounded by a caliber of forwards in which he's not used to. Uh, You know, the Rangers were not that good up front. Tampa obviously is. Um, Yeah, before that trade, I would have told you the Penguins were without question the favorite in the East. Uh, McDonough, I don't think McDonough's a star. I think he's a little overrated. But he is a very good defenseman. I'm not taking anything away from him. He's obviously, at worst, a very good top-four defenseman. So you add that, you add Miller. Yeah, on paper, Tampa is certainly every bit as good as the Penguins. Uh, I think they are the two best teams in the East. Uh, If I had to bet today, I would say that will be your Eastern Conference final. Um, Regarding the matchup between the two, um, it's dead even. I will say the Penguins are always very comfortable playing against that team, though. Uh, The Penguins don't like playing against teams that try to beat them up and try to win 2-1 games. Sometimes they can struggle in that kind of a game. Tampa likes to skate. Uh, They want to play 5-4 games, and the the Penguins certainly do not object to that.
0: No, they absolutely don't, and it would make for a hell of a series to watch. Good good thing for the Penguins, Josh, and uh, hell, all these series are going to be really fun to watch the penguins don't have to play toronto boston and tampa they only have to play one of those teams are those the three best teams other than the penguins in the conference do you think
2: um probably um i would i would say pittsburgh and tampa are the two best in my opinion and i'd probably put boston next and then washington and toronto i think somewhere right behind um you know, the Penguins and Capitals are still on a collision course in the second round with all due respect to what the Flyers are doing, which is incredible. I certainly didn't see it coming. I, I still expect Pittsburgh and Washington to meet. But, but yeah, you're right. It's the opposite of last year when you know people forget the Penguins had to go through Columbus and Washington, uh, two of the three best teams in the league, just to get to the conference final. Uh, it's a little bit of an easier road this year. They're going to miss out on having to play those nasty teams in the Atlantic. They'll only have to play one of them, and that's a good thing because those three teams are all legit, and you know, Boston and Toronto probably are going to play in the first round, so one of those teams is out immediately, and that will certainly help the Penguins on the road because Tampa's going to have to play one of those two teams in the second round.
0: Josh, how does Washington not do anything yesterday? It just blows my mind. Uh, they're not. It's not like they're in a bad spot. They had been the top of the conference yesterday. Obviously, didn't go all that well for them overall, as they got smacked by the Jackets as well. How do they not make a move? I was shocked. And I
2: listen. I know they don't have a lot of salary space, but as Jim Rutherford has proven, uh, there are ways around that. It, you know, it's not that hard. And they lost so many good players last season. In um, free agency, just because of their cap situation, they basically were unable to replace five NHL players. So, on some level, you give them credit for what they've done this season. They're still a good team, but that's a team that needs some serious help, especially on the blue line. Uh, they've been giving Brooks Orpik top four minutes, uh, with all due respect to Brooks. He's actually had a bit of a bounce back year, but he's thirty-seven years old. Um, it, you just feel like there's something stale with them right now, too. Um, they they had a really good run there, but in the last month or so, they haven't played very well you said it, they got got smoked last night in Columbus. They're kind of going in the wrong direction, and I I feel like the Penguins are probably the favorite to win the division right now. It's hardly a lock. It's going to be a great battle, but I think they might pull through at the end.
0: You know what this reminds me of, Josh? The Penguins could meet the Capitals in the first round. I don't know how likely it is, but they could meet the Capitals in the first round, and that would remind me of when the Penguins dispatched to the Rangers a couple of years ago. Washington certainly would put up a fight, no doubt, but... I just think the Penguins would outclass them. If Washington hasn't been able to beat Pittsburgh with all those great teams that they've had, I don't think they're going to beat Pittsburgh with a really good team that they've got now, especially if they're going to keep trending downward.
2: I agree, and there's just a sense, to for me anyway, that last season was really Washington's chance. And my God, if ever they've had the Penguins on the road, oh it, was, it was last May when they were out of gas. They had just gotten smoked in Pittsburgh in Game 6. I really didn't think the Penguins had a chance to win down there in game seven. I, you know, I, and I'm well aware of the history of the rivalry, but there was absolutely that sense of, okay, OV's oh, finally going to get sit tonight. The Penguins are out of gas. The Caps are finally going to do this. And they didn't. And uh, they've been kind of a train wreck ever since, even though their record is perfectly competent. And you saw what happened in Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago when they played. Uh, the Penguins are very much in Braden Holtby's head at this oh. point.
0: Uh, and he's not playing so it, well anyhow.
2: No, he's not. Um, no, and that's very interesting. You know, the Flyers all of a sudden have passed everyone. Uh, who knows? Um, <laughs> Penguins-Capitals in the first round, believe it or not, is possible. But uh, ideally for the Penguins, you win the division, you probably get maybe Columbus in the first round or the Devils, which wouldn't necessarily be easy. But uh, you still don't want to play the Flyers or Capitals right now, the way the Flyers are playing
0: especially. Last thing here for you, Josh, Patrick Hornquist, now a Penguin for the next five years, 5.3 mil per year. Yeah, okay, it might be long, whatever. They're trying to win now. You need to get this guy. You needed to have him. You need to keep him with Crosby and Malkin in this core. He's very much a part of the core as far as I'm concerned, Josh. And this is a guy who just, he just brings it every single night, and he's been so damn consistent. Maybe he'll wear out, but I'd be afraid to see what the Penguins would look like without him because... They've won two Stanley Cups with him, and they struggled mightily before he got here, since they won that I, first one.
2: I marvel at the citizens on Twitter who are complaining about the length of the deal. Um, first of all, on the open market, this guy would get six years and six million a year. I guarantee you he would get that, if not more. Um, okay, maybe he will wear down in four years. Well, guess what? The championship window is right now, and there are a few players on that team who are more valuable than Patrick Hornquist. I've never seen anyone quite like him. Um, He is a competitor of the rarest degree. And if you don't believe in his value, go back and watch some tapes of the playoff games the last two springs and just look at his numbers in the playoffs. He literally scores more goals per game in the playoffs than he does in the regular season. Not many players do that because goal scoring goes down. Um, He's just the kind of guy a championship team does not dare lose. But that said, he, he was due to become an unrestricted free agent July 1st, and he was, trust me, he could have made a ton of money. Oh, my so God. I, I give Hornquist and Jim Rutherford a lot of credit for getting that done. That You know, it would have been easy for Hornquist to say, you know what, I'm going to field some calls on July 1st and just see what I can get. But uh, he was loyal to the Penguins, and, and I think they gave him a very fair deal, and that's a very big deal to keep him around for a few more years. That's a valuable guy.
0: How many players in the league have a skill set like him?
2: I hardly any. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Wayne Simmons is great in front of the net. He's a really good player. Um, but he's not so a whack a job. <laughs> well, all right. I mean, Hornquist, I, I mean, the guy, just watch him tonight. He's just maniacal in front of the net. And my favorite thing about him, when you watch him play, watch on the power play, how many 50-50 puck
0: battles he wins in yeah. the corners.
2: It, it's, nobody talks about it. It's unbelievable that the ability he has to keep the play alive on the power play. He does it every single night.
0: Really good stuff, man. Thank you so much for the time. All right, buddy. You go. Guys, guess what? Guess what? Snowflakes. Tom Kuhn-Hackle's back tonight, baby. Woo! Okay, I know that's not why you're watching the Penguins game. You're watching it because Derek Broussard will be there. And you get to watch Grabner, although he won't be on your team. I mean, guys, I'm, like, way excited. Way excited. It feels like forever ago they traded for Broussard. And now we get to watch him play. With Connor Sherry and Phil Kessel. Three first lines. Your Pittsburgh Penguins. Defending champs for six hundred and fifty two days. And they're on the march for the third in a row. Here's what we're gonna see a bunch over the next month. The March of the Penguins. We see it every damn year. Every year, the March of the Penguins, because they'll get hot. And they'll be marching up the standings. And we're going to see the headline about a thousand times. Coming up next, the hottest take of the day. It relates to the NCAA. And I got an NFL note that I think Steelers fans aren't going to want to hear. It's the Crowley Show. Sports talk with a little bit of an edge. Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Adam Gretz who writes for NBC Sports Check him out on Twitter at Gretz He wrote a story about Jim Rutherford and everything that he's done since He's become a general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's made 28 trades. 28. And I'll expand more on this tomorrow, but it just dawned on me how willing he is to admit when he's failed and how that can really help you in any business. But my God, it has helped the Penguins tremendously become the franchise that they are now. Just to name a few, David Perron comes in The Penguins trade a first-round pick for him, and he doesn't work out. So he gets flipped for Carl Haglin. A lot of times in sports or in life, when somebody has an idea and they think it's going to work, even if it doesn't work, they're going to stick with it to see if it finally works because they want to be proven correct. Jim Rutherford says, we'll give you about... A hundred games. If it doesn't work out, your ass is gone. Think about Mike Johnson coming in as head coach. hundred and ten games he coached the Pittsburgh Penguins. hundred and ten. One of the shortest tenures in Pittsburgh Penguins history for a head coach. And he got canned. Mike Sullivan comes in as the replacement. Jim Rutherford doesn't say, this is what I think and I'm going to make sure it happens this way. He says, if it doesn't work out, I'm going to make sure it does because we don't have... Crosby and Malkin forever, and let's face it, Jim Rutherford isn't exactly a spring chicken when it comes to the general manager position. So he wants things to work, and he wants things to work now. And when he makes mistakes, he rectifies them. Think about this offseason. It was a disaster. And I didn't want to criticize Jim Rutherford all that much at the time because I knew that he would eventually get things done because he always does get things done. But this offseason, Cullen walked. And Benino walked. So there go your bottom two centers. Chris Kunitz is gone. There's one of your big-time depth forwards. You lose Ron Hainsey, which is eh. But you lose the defenseman there. The Penguins were gutted when it comes to depth. They bring in Matt Hunwick, who was eh and has been eh, and is going to continue probably to be eh. That one didn't get corrected, but he's corrected so many more. He effed up by trading a first-round pick for Ryan Reeves. Uh, you can't argue that. That's an eff up. But less than half, well, a little over half a season later, he trades the guy he traded a first-round pick for. That's not working. I need a better player. See ya. That's awesome! That's awesome! It doesn't happen other places like that. And far too often do you get a general manager who just says, this is what I want to do, here's how I'm going to do it. These players are going to come in, and we'll see how it works. Well, if it doesn't work, Jim Rutherford says, F that piece. That's awesome. That's humility. Humility. And that's knowing that to be good at your job, you have to have some pliability. You have to listen to what other people say. You have to use your eyes. And you can't stick with what you think. You can't entrench yourself in a position. My God, Jim Rutherford can save this country. That is how this country needs to be. If you don't have all the facts, or if you're entrenched in a position and you don't have all the facts, you can punt on the position. Don't get entrenched. Jim Rutherford's like, this David Braun guy, he's going to lead us to the Stanley Cup. Well, okay, he's kind of a fragile little bitch. Let's trade him for Haglin. That's worked out nice. He's not afraid to correct his mistakes, and that's one of the reasons why, maybe the biggest reason why the Penguins are where they are right now. He's also not afraid to take chances. Justin Schultz was the worst defenseman in the league. He was 10th in the Norris Trophy voting last year. Jamie Alexiak was one of the worst defensemen in the league, and he's played very well for the Penguins. Smart guy, that GMJR. A lot of people weren't happy with that decision when they made it, when they hired him in place a Ray Shiro. Jim's old. He doesn't get it. And at the time, I sat there and I said, I'd rather have a general manager who's done it before do it and not waste the time teaching someone how to be GM when you've got Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And it's all worked out. And I was right. So there! Ah, damn. I didn't learn the lessons that Brother Fern wanted me to lo- learn. It's time for the Hottest Take of the Day. Ready, go. It's time for the Hottest Take of the Day. Dang,
2: dang, dang.
0: The NCAA is corrupt, but it's always been corrupt. For far too long, athletes have been making millions of dollars for people who weren't actually playing the games. And I've gone back and forth on this one and thought, what can be done to solve these problems? What can be done to solve the back-channel problem that's going on in the NCAA that the FBI is now focusing in on? And nothing will be done to ever stop it. Whatever is done, some universities are going to pay more. Whatever's done, there's still going to be that black market, that black channel. It's the way things go. Drugs are illegal. People find a way to get drugs. Now, less than they would be able to, but they find a way. Here's one way that you can try to fix it. If you pay all athletes, it's not going to work. Because it's not going to be amateurism anymore. And I realize that now it's amateurism, but really it's not. It's a facade. It's a professional sports organization, the NCAA. But here's a way athletes can make money that is reciprocal to the performance that they have on the field. Or maybe not reciprocal, but attached to the performance that they have on the field. 98% of athletes in the NCAA are getting a deal. When they get a free education Swimmers, divers, wrestlers People like that, they're getting a deal But the other 2% The Ohio State football players, the Michigan football players Any SEC school's quarterback They deserve to make more money than the wrestler So allow them to utilize their likeness Allow them to sell their game-worn jersey. Allow them to be in commercials like Olympic athletes. Allow them to be able to sell their cleats or sign autographs. Allow them to get endorsements. Allow their stardom to make them money while they're in college. And I'm sorry if the worst dude on the swimming team at Boise State doesn't get the same kind of money that Kellen Moore would have got. That soft-tossing lefty quarterback who won a whole bunch of games up there. He doesn't deserve to make as much money as that guy. It winds up being what you deserve. You get paid, you get cash, and you get paid and you get cash for your accomplishments on the field. That's the hottest take of the day. And that was the hottest take of the day. Day, day, day. Running out of time here. It's been a fun show today. I don't feel like I was really back yesterday. I kind of just meandered around talking about hockey. Didn't have my energy. I always feel like Monday shows are my worst anyhow, but I had been off for nine days, and all I had done is smack nails with a hammer and put up drywall and all that fun crap. So I didn't have it. Today's been a great show, and we wrap things up with other crap. Woo! Other crap. A lot of people are making fun of the fact that the Jacksonville Jags signed Blake Bortles to a long-term contract. And, okay, I get it. He's not great, but it's actually bad news for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll get into this, again, more in-depth tomorrow, but the Jags were good with Bortles. Their defense is good. This now takes them out of the conversation for getting a good quarterback, which means another good quarterback is likely going to enter the AFC, meaning the AFC gets deeper. If Blake Bortles remains with the Jags, and he will remain with the Jags, then that means a guy like Kirk Cousins can come in and play for the Broncos. And that makes the Broncos a legitimate contender. You add a good team to the AFC... If Kirk Cousins had gone to Jacksonville, Jacksonville was already good. They'd be better, but a good team would have stayed a good team. So I think the Blake Bortles move is one that hurts the Pittsburgh Steelers in the long run because it adds a good team to the AFC. An AFC that's already going to have the great quarterback coming back to Houston, Andrew Luck going back to Indianapolis. And now Patrick Mahomes taking over for the check down Charlie, Alex Smith. Tonight, pens and devs, I'm fired up, baby. It's Broussard Day. We break it down tomorrow on the show. Peace.